This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Clear the Cash. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, of course, is Mr. Jesse Bach. You can find him on Twitter at planet underscore fatness. <sighs> Jesse, it feels good to be podcasting again at our regular time, not on the weekend, not on some oddball day. As the listeners of this show know, this growing audience of the Clear the Cash podcast know you and I live on opposite ends of the United States. We have flip-flopped hours. So every episode that we deliver is like like a chef's kiss because it's an impossible fucking task to put together in the first place. So I really appreciate you making time in your busy schedule to come on this podcast and just grace this listening audience. Nate, if you I'm I'm more than sure I've said this on a show before. Uh, maybe it was just a patron only show, but if you lived in New York or Atlanta or Miami or wherever on the East Coast, w- this show would not exist because we would never be on the same schedule. So you living on the East on the West Coast, me living in Philly, like this. Surprisingly enough, uh, that's what makes this show work because there is no other possible way we could record at the same time. It's probably true. I mean, I've always been happy to live on the West Coast. I've said this before. There's nothing better than a sporting event ending or or starting, let's say, even if it's a late college football game, 8, 9 o'clock. By the time the game's over, maybe it's 11, 11.30, maybe midnight at the worst. People on the East Coast? God forbid you're watching a professional baseball game like the World Series, Game 6, goes to like the 13th inning. It's like 1.30 a.m. I mean, tell me how bad that is. Is that the worst experience available? Jesus, especially if it's a, if it's in like L.A. or something. Like I can't I, – I didn't watch the the uh, OT or double OT um, Portland game a couple nights ago. But the, I mean that game – I have no idea what time that game ended. What, it, it must have ended around at least 2 o'clock in the morning now um, over here. So – and that was that was like maybe the best playoff game so far in these playoffs. Um, even though even though the the Blazers lost, and I, I do I, I'm a big Dame fan myself. Um, it sucks. Like I, but it kind of works out for me because um, for me selfishly, I am I am a second shift worker. So um, by the time I by the time I get home, depending on the shift I work, it, it'll either be uh, ten o'clock or midnight over on my time. Um, so I welcome, I welcome OT games. Um, I, I don't go to bed until honestly, probably two or three o'clock in the morning as it is. So it just, I mean, I welcome it, but for you, it just seems like if something like if something ends no later than nine thirty or 10 o'clock your time, like that's just, I mean, what more can you ask for? 
I mean, I could ask for a lot of things, but on this particular <laughs> topic, I mean, I, I can't ask for much. Only you, Matt Kelly and Ryan Lopes are up this late. I, I feel like everybody I know that's an East coast guy just stays up late. And I've always had this assumption that if you live on the East coast, you just stay up later in general. I don't know if that's true or I'm making assumptions, but it feels like everybody I know that lives on the East coast just stays up later. What time, um, didn't you say Cody is like more of a night owl than pretty much like anybody, you know, I feel like yeah, he's I, a super night owl. Yeah. I, I, he probably even beats me and he, he probably still gets up at like eight o'clock in the morning, which is like just outrageous for him. So, um, I, I kind of, I get that. Um, especially for, 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 I, I see it more in like in guys here than I do, than I do in women. Um, for whatever reason, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think maybe after 50, like nobody really wants to, even if it's like an Eagles game or something, um, people will happily go to bed at bedtime or at, uh, at, at, at halftime. So it, it really depends. Um, but that's not, that's not that untrue of an assumption. I, I just assume that everybody that lives on the East Coast has slick back gelled hair, you know, wears silk shirts. Uh, I don't know what anybody does for work over there. I have I don't <laughs> think anything's getting done. But that's just always been my assumption about the East Coast. And I think I'm right. I feel like I'm right. But I go to bed so early, it's pathetic. So it is what it is. So, Jesse, I'm going to completely flip the script. I don't want to talk bad about anybody else on the East Coast. I have a lot of friends over there. They're great people. They're, they don't work either. Um, so you, you had added something to the show sheet about BGS and that they were going to suspend all grading. What's happening with BGS now? It feels like one company after another is shutting something down. So, it, I mean, it's not... It's not looking too good. I, personally, for me, it, it didn't. It didn't surprise me too much to to read something like this. This was this was shared on um, multiple, uh, very relevant and um, well resourced Instagram accounts throughout the hobby. Um, that starting on June seventh, this is this is the exact quote here. Beckett will suspend all grading submissions other than the premium level. All orders that are submitted under the express standard and economy level will be returned to the customer ungraded. The reason behind this decision is simply to allow us to focus on the growing backlog we have and to get as many to get as many cards back to customers as possible before the national. This is not ideal for anyone, but something our competition has done. We now feel this is the right move for Beckett. Again, this is going to be temporary and something we believe that will improve our availability for the remainder of 2021 and into 2022. So this, this hasn't been, um, I, I wasn't able to find this announcement on Beckett's website. I, I check, I have checked Beckett's website multiple days to look for something like this, but, um, I guess it's a matter of time when we'll see that it'll actually be official when, um, when you open up, uh, maybe like a submission portal or, or like a, or a submission application under Beckett's website, you'll, you'll definitely see this announcement. If, if Beckett doesn't already announce it on all of their social media platforms by then. Um, so we're, we're a couple of days out before, before June 7th, but 
just as a as a side note, before I even before I even give my thoughts, at first when I read this and it uh, they said any any card that's submitted under express standard and economy level will be returned ungraded. I don't know why. In my mind, as soon as I read this, I'm like, Jesus, that's fucking harsh. Like all of the cards that have already been submitted under these three grading options, they're going to be returned ungraded, and like they're not even going to get a refund. And then I, I realized, like, that was just whatever brain fart on my end. That um, obviously the cards that are that are already submitted, they're going to be graded uh, no matter what. So um, I just thought that was funny, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, BGS can't fucking help themselves. Um, but it's I can't say I'm surprised because um, BGS has been relatively quiet since the PSA shutdown. I'm sure their their volume, if, if they actually take action to pause their grading, I can't imagine how much their volume has gone up in the last month or two um, compared to how, how exorbitant it already was uh, going into even the PSA shutdown. So I'm, I'm already skeptical that PSA is going to open up in, um, on time in July or on, on July 1st, 2021. I don't think it's going to happen. I, I, ho- I really hope it happens by the national, but it, they have a long way to go. Um, but for BGS, I have no idea when they're going to open back up. It's, I, I mean, at least finally we're actually hearing something, you know, from the higher ups or at least like I, this news had to have come from somebody at, at BGS. Um, so at least they are communicating with us and telling us that, you know, they are super backed up and they're going to need time to go through, go through their submissions. Um, and they, I, I think they're honest in that they want to, move everything and, and get everything out by the national. Again, it's going to be hard to do, but um, I mean, I'm encouraged that at least they're taking some sort of action. Uh, to be honest, they're, they're pretty much copying PSA's actions here. Um, they, it, it, I don't think it would have hurt if they were a little bit more proactive here, just because I'm hearing like, I know, I know collectors myself who um have been waiting even longer for BGS submissions than they have for PSA. Um, it's it's encouraging that BGS is is taking that that right step. Um, but I mean, at this point, like the the bigger implications of this is all right. PSA is down. BGS is down. Those were arguably the two titans in the grading world in in the card world essentially. So it's pretty wide open. In terms of who else is going to emerge as that third company, do you think SGC is going to take that leap and be and have as much of a of a runway and and build as much hype as they had going into last summer when people were starting to buy BGS labs, um, or is it going to be HGA and HGA maybe HGA is going to double, triple, quintuple their um, their staff? And maybe they can take more than however many cards they, they take per week now. So, so maybe grading won't be, uh, I mean, it, it'll still be competitive, but at least more cards will be able to submit it weekly to their headquarters. So it's it, honestly, I, there's no, there's no saying who's going to emerge from this as, as a victor. Maybe it'll just be PSA, honestly, and maybe this will kind of just 
light light a light a fire under PSA's ass just to try to grade everything as even quicker than they thought they were going to, just to so they can open up their doors back. But um, I mean, at least it's encouraging that BGS is is making moves to improve um, the hobby in general and obviously improve their backlog. That was sort of the question surrounding this BGS shutdown with PSA down. It was who who's going to rise with the two titans of the industry sort of down. And you mentioned SGC and HGA because they very much feel like they're sort of vying for this number three spot in a lot of ways right now. And the reason that I'm more confident right now in HGA is just that I think they've got the momentum where... SGC has been around and they've been the third wheel for a long time and we kind of know what they are and they're, I mean, they really haven't risen to this prominent level where if you had a choice between PSA, BGS and SGC, you would clearly go with the first two before you would go with the latter. There's a, there's a chance that HGA climbs enough that people start to prefer it to SGC overall because it's sort of this new technology, this new company. And correct me if I'm wrong, but are they already starting to be considered a very tough grader? They are. I'm seeing so tough to the point that I'm, I, I'm, I've referenced this on a show in the past, but I have seen HGA 9.5s outsell BGS 9.5s. Um, and uh, curiously enough, uh, HGA has subgrades as well, just like BGS does. And we don't, we don't really talk about this company too much, but I've been seeing slightly more, um, slightly more praise going their way. Um, pre- more, mostly from people that aren't a fan of HGA slabs, but CSG honestly has been getting more business as well. Maybe not to the level as, as HGA, but um, C, uh, CSG is a, they're kind of a, a tougher grader themselves too. Um, and they also go by the system of subgrades. So interestingly enough, um, I, I, it's just, just kind of as a side note, it's, it's interesting that, you know, SGC and PSA, they don't have subgrades. And yet these new young competitors that are, that are rising out of the ashes or just, you know, coming into this hot card period, this bull market, um, they're going with subgrades and I think they, I think they are catering to the fact that people are fascinated with um, having the, as, as close to the full picture as possible in terms of how how their cards were graded. And I think, I think people just like subgrades. A lot of people like subgrades and they want to see the process that's, that's going behind the grade of their card because um, PSA, uh, I, I don't think SGC does anything like this. I know I know SGC gives you a scan of the card, but PSA, you pretty much just get the car, get your card in a slab, grade as is, and that's it. They don't give you they don't give you a report of why they why they graded the card the way the way that they graded it, or why it got the grade that it got. So um, it's just interesting that these that these newer companies are, are going the route of of subgrades. And me personally, I, I like subgrades. I, I want to see I want to see what the grader saw in terms of you know when what their process was when grading the card. But um, I mean HGA is they're kind of honestly out of every we we've given we've get, we've. We've praised SGC some. We've given them some shit um, about you know some of their process and public relations. Um, 
I think they're a fine company, honestly. But HGA, uh, people have been crapping on their slabs too. Some people aren't a fan of uh, like the the color match slab. So they, I've I've seen people go the CSG route, and I've seen people go SGC instead, um, just to just to avoid that slab. Personally, I think I think a majority of the HGA slabs, um, I think they actually help the card. I don't like, it, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, I've I've seen a lot of HGA slabs that really complement the card. I understand when people say the whole point of you grading the card is to encase the card and put, you know, like a, a more or less evaluation on it. And so you're, you're sure of the condition of the card. So you don't want the slab to take away from the card. Um, I, I, I understand that. Um, but I, I don't know. They like HGA has kind of created a market for themselves where it's not, you're not, you're not, developing the slab to take away from the card i think they're developing the slab to add to the card um if anything so it's only time will tell who who will will reign supreme um besides psa and bgs from all of this but i don't know that's just kind of some of my takes of of, of some of the other uh competitors that have something to gain from this People never like change, right? They, when you're sort of stuck in your way, when you're used to whatever the norm is, you know, especially when we talk about the look of slabs. I mean, PSA is one of the only slabs, you know, I guess BGS has a minor amount of color. PSA has a very minor amount of color, but then you get these very unique, colorful slabs. And I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of them at first, but now I do appreciate that they're, they do add some color to it, some innovation to it. And really what it comes down to for me is the fact that if they truly are going to become a tough grader in the industry, that's one great way to rise. I mean, from here, all it takes is like we talked about with that logo, man. If some big time card, if they take it to HGA, it only takes a couple of those before all of a sudden when these big time you know, card owners are taking them to a card company like this, that can swing the pendulum pretty heavy in one direction. And, you know, I don't want to say that BGS has the most to potentially lose of the three. When we talk about, or you mentioned HGA slabs already going for more PSA is locked into where it is. But imagine if a couple very big time cards go to HGA, they continue to be known as this tough grader. People begin to appreciate the, the nuance and the look of these slabs. And then suddenly they're right there at the top of the heap. Yeah, uh, I mean, we've already seen a company like SGC, although a, a company like that has been around for so long, they haven't started grading modern cars in, up until a couple of years ago. And they've they've seen... So going into kind of SGC's grading system, they have... Um, they While they don't have subgrades, they do have a 9.5. So PSA is essentially the only... Um, you know, powerhouse company that doesn't that doesn't have a nine point five, um, because uh, PSA ten is only considered gem and it's not pristine. Um, but SGC has uh, uh, their grading system goes from a nine, which is mint, nine point five, which is a mint plus, and then a ten, which is gem mint, and above the SGC ten is the SGC ten gold label. So at the very top of 
the label, um, you have, you know, the regular black and white SGC label with a gold border around it. So that SGC 10 gold is their essential, essentially their pristine label. Back in 2020, um, they were very heavily advertising, not before the card sold, but after the card sold. I, it either sold with Golden or a big auction house. It was a 1986 Fleer Jordan um, SGC 10 gold pristine. I believe that card sold for, if it sold for a record price. It beat the PSA 10 price, surprisingly enough. So, um, and that was, that's only a couple years after um, SGC started creating more modern cards. Now, I wouldn't say 1986 is like super modern. It's not quite vintage, it's somewhere in between. But, um, but these companies, once they, once they, Great, a couple of these cards, and especially with with iconic cards being uh, returned to to the, the submitters in high grades, and if those cards reach large auction houses, not sure if Golden will embrace an HGA or a CSG slab anytime soon, but PW, I'm sure PW, PWCC will, and maybe some other big auction houses will. So. Um, if you have big buyers with deep pockets looking at those cards, um, I, they could, they, this purchases like that can kind of help and, and very large sales like that can help put those companies on the map, just like that SGC 10 gold Fleer Jordan did for SGC. Now, Jesse, there was a card that you brought to my attention and you mentioned that's probably not getting much conversation anywhere in the industry. I, I certainly had not heard about it. Um, you pointed out that this might be considered the rarest Babe Ruth trading card on earth and people can get their hands on it in some sort of fractional ownership. Is that true? So we're recording this the day after this transaction either took place or was announced to the public. So this is coming through a collectible app um, or co collectible.com. It's, it's a card fractionalization company. I'm sure we've mentioned on previous shows along with rally road and other, and other companies. So, there is this, um, the, the card that Nate is referencing is the 1914 Baltimore News Babe Ruth. Um, it's graded as an SGC3. So 1914 wasn't, um, I, I, I don't think it was quite Babe Ruth's rookie year. He was still a minor leaguer at the time that the, that the card was produced. So by today's standards, it's technically considered an XRC. But what's so special about this, the, the copy of this card is, um, obviously not the great cause it's only an SGC three, but you know, it's a 107 year old card and these cards are even more rare than the T206 Honest Wagner. Um, since only 10 of these, 10 of them exist. So these, uh, this card is very, it, it pops up super infrequently, um, but I, I didn't even go into the, the whole dollars and cents of how much this card went for. So it's the most expensive card transaction in history. It surpassed the $5.2 million Mickey Mantle sale to Rob G. So although it went for over $5.2 million uh, comparing to the, the 
Tops Mickey Mantle by Rob G. Uh, that was bought by Rob G a couple months back. Uh, we don't know ex the exact evaluation um, or the exact amount that the card was purchased for. Um, all we know that it was between five million two hundred thousand dollars and one penny and six million dollars. It was some. It was somewhere in between that range. Um, but the uh, and collectible has evidence of the transaction. They were able to see the wire transfer between the buyer and the seller of the card. Um, but it is currently being valued by collectible for one percent of the card. That's going to be available for uh, sixty thousand dollars, so twenty thousand shares, three dollars each, um, which values the card at six million dollars. Again, only ten of them exist, and what's so crazy uh, about this card is, so it's been Babe Ruth is from Baltimore originally. This card was in the possession of one family who I'm sure the owner's great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather pulled this out of a 1914 Baltimore newspaper, which is where you could get these cards at the time. He pulled it out of the newspaper, kept it, passed it on from generation to generation until the owner of this card got it and held it, probably held it for his entire lifetime, and then while he still had sole ownership of the card, he allowed it to be displayed at the um, Babe Ruth Museum in Baltimore. And it's been on display there for 23 years. So it's, it's been on display there for the public. It looks like by, by the looks of the slab, it, it had to have been graded somewhat recently by SGC. Um, I don't know if every copy of this card is graded, but it's nice that at least this this copy is encased. Um, and it's yeah, it's just been in the Baltimore Babe Ruth Museum ever since for 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 23 years. And the the buyer of this card, he is uh, probably gonna be uh, anonymous for a good while, um, but. He is going to continue to have the card displayed at the Baltimore Museum because he's he's gone on the Collectible show, um, the Collectible app podcast, and actually spoke out and said he still wants the card to be appreciated by other people, even though, um, like, even if you know he's the sole owner of the card. But what's interesting is he came into an agreement, uh, the buyer, with a Collectible app to essentially make 1% of the card, of the value of the card, available as an IPO. So you'll be able to at least apply through collectible.com to purchase shares of this card. And uh, so it's 1% of a $6 million card is going to turn out to be $60,000. So $60,000 worth of this card, this fraction of this card is going to be available for the general public to be able to purchase shares of. Each share is going to cost $3, um, so obviously very inexpensive. Um, I'm more than sure that Collectible is going to want as many people as possible to be able to purchase shares. So I am more than certain there's going to be a share limit uh, for each individual who's looking to get shares. Um, I, I don't know what that limit's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be 10 shares, 100 shares a person, but I've never been super impressed or intrigued by fractionalization until I saw a card like this. Um, 
where we're talking about a car that's more rare than the T206 Honest Wagner. And I'm, I'm a collector first and foremost, even before an investor. But if I, and I'm not even looking at this as like a, such a supreme investment where we're probably realistically only talking about if I'm able to buy any shares of this card, it's probably not going to exceed a couple hundred dollars, maybe a thousand dollars. Um, as an investment, I, I think it's, it's a sure thing, but if, if I can, if I can tell my kids that I'm able, that I own a very, very, very small percentage of the most expensive sports card of all time, that's some, that's kind of cool. And I, again, if I, if I was, all right, so let's say I, I did have the financial means to be able to purchase this card, right? I'm, I'm more than certain there are other collect, there are other collectors and owners of this card that have the other nine copies that wouldn't sell for double this price or triple this price. Um, it's a very, very hard card to find. I, I encourage you guys to listen to um, the buyers, uh, the anonymous buyers interview with Collectible on their podcast. Um, just kind of listening to through his process, he said, like this guy's a lifelong collector, and he was looking for this card for years. Um, like so today we're recording on June 3rd, 2021. This card hasn't been transacted since 2014. Um, I like honest to God, if I was a, if, if I was a collector, if I was a serious collector for 10 lifetimes, there's probably no way I'd, I'd ever be able to find and purchase this card ever. So if there is an opportunity for me to be able to buy shares of this card, this might be one of those situations where I'm actually in favor of fractionalization. And I'm very grateful for the buyer to give us the opportunity to, to be able to purchase at least a couple of shares. So the collectible platform says that it's going to offer 20,000 shares of this asset. So like you said, we don't know what they're going to cap it at, but those are going to go fast. I mean, that is going to go so fast. By the time we're recording this, I'm as soon as we finish recording, I'm going to submit my application. Um, it's it goes by a, a first come first serve basis. So um, I'm sorry, guys, it might be a little bit too late by the time this show actually comes out, either on Patreon or on or on um, all of our other platforms. But um, I'm. It's a it's a first come first serve basis. I'm gonna try my best to like I'm I'm gonna complete an application immediately. I'm not even guaranteed to to even get one share of this card um, for three dollars. So, um, but I I, I do kind of want uh, you know I I want to be I want to be able to hold a share of history. What I think is is history and 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 you know, modern art. I mean, this, even this, the fact that this card is available now and like even exists is, is absolute insanity. Like this card is 107 years old. You can't tell me like, I don't know, like what looks good after 107 years. And th this didn't grade as authentic. This graded at, as an SGC three, which is all the more impressive to me, honestly, like, like that's honest in my eyes. I see that as closer to a 10 than a one. That's just me, but um, it's it's really I, I think it's very generous of of the buyer to be able to fractionalize something like this. 
I I can't even say they're doing it purely for financial purposes because dude, the guy just spent six million dollars on this. Like, what's sixty k to him? Um, but I'm 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 grateful. I'm I'm grateful that there there is going to be a chance that I can actually have or like own a very 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 small piece of this card. I mean, I'm gonna sign up as well, Jesse. I would love to get my hands on a few shares of this card. I'm sure they're not gonna do any damage. No matter how many I can put on this card, but like you said, this is one of those rare opportunities where, you know, the uh, rally has dinosaur bones and other things that you can, you know, you can invest in. But this Babe Ruth card is like uh, one of the more rare items I think we're ever going to run across. So it's interesting. Get in line. I'm sure this is going to be a lot like Top Shot. Good luck. There's probably <laughs> no chance. Don't get out of line. Right, yeah. Don't get out of line. But, uh, you know, if you want to take a shot and try to invest some money, that's a great place to do it. Another great place to do it is Underdog. If you have the Underdog app, that's an excellent place to do it. As we talked about last week, the NBA playoffs are still in full swing. Nothing's changed. Lakers are probably going to get bounced. That's sad. You and I are both big LeBron fans. Didn't see how the Blazers did tonight. By the time this episode airs, people are going to have a lot of clarity on that subject. But you can join drafts for multi- or single-game slates all the way through the playoffs. These are not best ball drafts. You do set your lineups. It's just like DFS, but you get a chance to draft your own team. You get $25 in bonus cash for the new players who deposit using the code UNDERWORLD. New players who sign up and make their first deposit receive $25 in bonus cash to play with this app. It's a great deal, guys. Underdog is a good sponsor. Go jump in on this if you think you know what you're doing in the world of NBA. Again, as a huge LeBron stand, it makes me very, very sad to see this team go down. I don't want them to go out like this. The legacy must continue. Jesse, the patrons responded to my call for questions. I said, look, we need some questions for the show. We'll read them live. If you guys want a question read live on the show, patreon.com forward slash I'm outraged. Always new stuff there. Some rookie rankings, an auction hunter article, clear the cash podcast before everybody else gets it. Go check that out. I I don't know what to do with this first question. This, this one, this one came in with a lot of spice. So I'm going to try and read this verbatim. And this is from at iHeartFoche. Pretty sure I said that right. Nobody knows. Does, does, he, only make does he know? I don't know. <laughs> I know. We're going to find out. So I just purchased a 2021 Panini Score football hobby box and am breaking open packs every other day to extend the suspension. Long pause. This is my first card purchase since the 90s and probably the most I've ever spent at once. So far, the best card I've pulled was a Kyle Pitts rookie auto, but it was like a scratch-off kind of deal. I got a mail-off, so I'm not sure if it looks cool, but it was new to me. Now, Jesse, he's referring to a redemption card, correct? Yeah, it sounds like it was a redemption for a Kyle Pitts um, rookie auto from score. Um. Yeah, that's it's, uh, it's it's tough to say honestly before before we even we go we dig any further into this. Um, and depending on how much you got for the box, if you can get more than the cost of the box for the re- not even the card for the redemption alone. Oh yeah, yeah, good call, good call. If you can 
just to recoup your money because I don't, this is right now. All right. So right now, June of 2021, this is the perfect time to sell a product like score who like who's trying to go out there and get a 20, 2020 score Joe Burrow right now. I don't have, I don't have that or, answer. Or a 20, uh, I mean, all right, maybe pa- Patrick Mahomes is a bad example, but <laughs> I mean, even Mahomes, like nobody wants to score Mahomes cards. Like, I, and that's, and he's, you know, he's the next, the next coming after Tom Brady retires or, even, you know, even, even as Brady's playing, but like, that's kind of, that, sh- that should tell you something about scorecards, modern day scorecards. I'm not, I'm not talking vintage. Now, now listen, now, now Foche what he's saying is this is the most expensive box he's ever bought and he's he's getting back into the hobby and he's reacclimating his his brain and recalibrating his understanding of cards and so he bought some score cards but and we know how we feel about score and we know how score sells on eBay and across other platforms but this question goes deeper Jesse it goes much much deeper than this you see there's some information about this Kyle Pitts card. So he asked if this is normal that there's a redemption card. Yes, that is normal. Yes. I signed yeah. on to the Panini website, showed status and progress, blah, blah, blah. Let's get to the other part. Um, also, since he is in his college uniform, is that a valuable card if he lives up to his rookie ADP, which is way too high, by the way, and Julio Jones leaves? Jesse, you want to answer that question? All right, he's not, guys, he's not going to live up to his rookie ADP. Um, but uh, the facts, all right, that aside, um, that's that kind of goes, that, that helps my point that I just talked about earlier, that typically, very, very, very typically, um, players who, uh, whose cards have them in their college uniforms, they typically don't sell very well, unless if there was like, Let's say Panini shut down shuts down their doors tomorrow and no cards are going to be produced. No licensed products are going to be produced for football this year. Then maybe we're talking. But if unless if that happens um, for the cards long term prospects, no, it's it's not going to do very well. Um, you want your card. You want your star rookie cards in. um in in their you want the players in their pro uniforms you don't really want to collect college cards um there's a couple exceptions out there um i even have a couple exceptions myself like i'm thinking for example 2011 sp authentic uh, majority of the rookie cards in that set where all of the cards in that set have players in their college uniforms um but knowing how big 2012 prism is um i th- i kind of look at 2011 sp authentic almost as like an xrc um, for, for the 2012 prism set for, for basketball. So, um, that's probably one of the only exceptions. I'm sure there's other cases, um, maybe back in the nineties or, or even, even older days, but yeah, typically, uh, cards with players in their college uniforms don't do too well in the long run. And because this acronym has been said multiple times on this episode and never defined previously, correct me if I'm wrong, an XRC is a rookie card of a player before they've entered the league. Correct. Um, it, as of right now, it's, it's considered, it stands for like an extended rookie card. Um, 
So these are essentially cards that either have the player in their college uniform and it's before it comes out before any of the other licensed professional cards are available and are released by Panini. Um, so like X, XRCs, they can hold value, but this might not be the best case of the card just because it's uh, because of the set score is known as a much lower tier set um, than uh, the sets that we typically talk about, like Prism Select and Optic, National Treasures, whatever. Um, and given that it's in his in his college uniform, um, I mean, it's 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 probably it, it right now is probably the best time to sell that card since uh, not many other football sets are are available. Right, absolutely. Um, let's continue this though because this goes deeper, Jesse. So much deeper. <laughs> Lastly, what in the world do I do with all these extra raw cards? So Jesse, he opened up this box. He says he's got a ton of cards. He's asking. He says, hey, I got two more autos. He believes that they are future school teachers. He doesn't think these guys are going to make it in the league, so I don't know who that is. He says he's got one more to pull, but it hasn't been pretty so far. He goes, should I take these to a card show to offload them and pump and dump them, or is eBay better? It depends. I've I've uh, run into some card shop owners that are actually fairly open to buying uh not wax, but uh, raw singles, in hopes of finding a deal. Like, it, I people are very open to buying up collections, and dealers are open to buying up collections. So, um, it's going to be tough to sell cards individually, um, unless if you maybe list them on something like CheckoutMyCards.com. Uh, stands for or that's uh, the acronym is ComC.com. C-O-M-C. Um, Starstock won't really take older cards. They only take raw modern cards. So ComC might be your best bet. Um, or in-person dealers or card shops probably selling everything as as a whole. But honestly, if you have, I know it's a it's a lot of cards. It's four hundred cards. But dude, do your homework. Like everybody who gets back into the hobby eventually. Um, at some, at one point or another, they'd go through something like this. They have cards, they find cards that they're in their mama's basement or in an attic or something that they haven't seen for 15 or 20 years, maybe more. And just research, like look at the cards, look at, type in the year, the set, the name of the player on eBay and go crazy and just filter, um, only show, completed sales of that card just to see if you're, you know, you never know. You could be sitting on a gold mine, especially if it's in good condition. So um, it, it, it's going to take a little while. If you're free, if, if you have a free Saturday or Sunday, um, it's not the worst project to go through. I'm sure it sounds daunting, but I'm sure you'll have more fun doing it and you'll get sucked in. And it, it, it can honestly actually help suck you into the hobby even more because that's honestly what happened with me when I went through my collection, mine and my brother's collection. Um, but yeah, just do your homework and, uh, see what you have first before going through those other routes, uh, th through the other routes that I just mm. mentioned. It's a good answer, Jesse. It's a good answer. A nice nuance. <clears throat> Nobody wants to have 400 cards laying around. There's no doubt about it. So there are avenues to get rid of them. There's also a chance that a lot of those cards aren't worth shit, but... <laughs> 
Do your homework for sure. See what's in there. It, it'll pay off in the end. All right, next question. Kendall Farrell. From a macro perspective, do we have any data on overall eBay sales by decade? If so, would love to see a breakdown of how many purchases are actually made if 90s cards compared to 2000s and modern. Is there a way that somebody could achieve this, Jesse? It's going to be very tough doing this homework by yourself just using eBay sales. Um, this is a very loaded question because we we have multiple we have multiple levels in this. So we have it. it I understand. I understand what Kendall's asking. Um, if we can only f if we can filter it by by decade, but it's not like we only had tops in the '80s, '90s, 2000s, and today. We don't just have tops. We have multiple companies with licenses to to produce cards at that given time. So um, we have single cards, single raw cards, single graded cards. And we have sealed wax from from those years um they all can you know fluctuate however they're fluctuating but uh, prob the the way that the closest way that you can compare a, a decade to the next decade is i'm not sure if card ladder has anything like any tool like this yet but i know on on sports card investors website using the market mover market movers app um you can actually filter the sales by a by a particular set by year. So let's say, for example, you want to look at 2005 Topps Chrome Basketball. Um, you can you can filter out you can filter out that set, and the system will show gr the graphs of sales and sales volume for the most popular players and most transacted players within that set. Um, and usually uh, I think you have to differentiate by the condition of the card, or if you just want to look at wax, you can compare years of wax to one another. Um, and you can even look at, you can look at trends basically of, you can compare 2005 tops Chrome basketball um, in one graph, and then you can get another graph and look at 1996 tops Chrome basketball. And look at maybe look at those sealed boxes, or look at those stars and those rookies in those sets, um, just to kind of compare one to another. It, it it's a very loaded question. You, it's very hard to just compare uh, and get to like a single ratio or a single like you know price comparison from one set to another, just because there there are thousands of sets out there maybe i'm exaggerating but there's a ton of sets out there for all of these years um but if if you're able to get a tool like like market movers um either a monthly or yearly tool that's honestly uh, such a cool such a cool tool to use to be able to um kind of track uh price by um year like sets and years but also for the individual players in those sets and compared them to one another. Kendall, you better put on a back brace and lift with your legs. That sounds like a lot of fucking work to me. <laughs> Good luck. Dave Steffi asks, why on some listings do people black out the string of numbers, the serial number, 
on the lower right portion of a PSA or BGS label? Um, I think a majority of people who do this are doing it in good faith because um, they actually do possess they these sellers actually do have possession of the card, but maybe they've been burned in the past with another seller on eBay or another platform who pretty much just screenshotted that sale or that, that, that picture of the card and try to sell it themselves and just pretty much that, that's how they scam people. So in order to divert that from happening, they just black out the serial number of the card. So of this, of the slab essentially um, to kind of help protect themselves and, and help dissuade scammers from basically just stealing money from goddamn scammers. They're everywhere. I get cold calls from them all the time. <laughs> there, yeah. It's been my new thing. I just absolutely fuck with the guys that tell me that my, uh, my social security number has been stolen. Have you ever done that? Do you just go with it ever? Uh, no, but I have a very, very good friend who does. And sometimes he'll do this <sighs> at work. Uh, and we all get a kick out of it. Oh, oh God. It's so good. I've, I've taken it four or five minutes with guys before until they realize this is, they're being completely screwed with and they hang up on you. And I used to ignore the call, but I've gotten to this point in my older years and my more refined, mature years that I'm like, you know what? I'll spend five or 10 minutes screwing with this individual so that it's, it's a great time. I recommend it. You know what? I want to talk about this. This is a better topic than what we're talking about. All right. So the next question now, I feel like I get his name wrong when I read this, but read Saito. That's what I want to say. Now, Reed, you're going to have to let us know if we're right or wrong. Now, I want to say Saito as well. It could only be Saito or Saito, right? But Saito makes the most sense. Sounds sounds uh, sophisticated. Reed, I'm sorry if your last name is actually pronounced Saito. That's whatever. I, I don't know. We're just, we don't know anything. Don't apologize to Reed. Apologize to his brother. <laughs> Reed, hypothetically, what would you do if your brother still has his 80s and 90s cards at your mom's place and you are fairly certain that he forgot about most of them. Would you be a good sibling and parse the wheat from the to give him, or would you be posting and selling the good shit to make some money? Keep in mind, your bro hasn't been to mom's in at least five years. All right. I, I've run into this problem myself, Nate. I'm, I'm sure you have, or will, um, do the right thing. I don't know what type of relationship you have with your brother. I don't know why your brother hasn't been at your mom's place in five years. Honestly, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into that, but, um, tell him what you found. Tell him, especially if you guys, like if you guys collected together growing up, that's a little, I don't know that that's, that's a little fucked up in my opinion. If, if you don't tell him, honestly, if anything, it might just it might just be good karma to you in the future if you if you're looking to buy and sell cards for profit and build up your collection in the future. Um, just tell them what you you know what you guys have. I'm sure like there's probably a decent chance. Uh, again, I don't know what type of relationship you have with your brother and how close you guys were in collecting, but like he might not even care and he might just he might just say like, oh shit, dude, honestly, cool, like. If you want to buy or sell, like if you want to sell anything, like dude, just keep it. Like, uh, I mean, 
you never know. You never know what they're going to say, but at least give them the option to um, to understand and and see what you guys had together. I totally disagree. <laughs> okay. Jesse, the question very clearly says hypothetically. Okay. I mean, if you're not even going to, if you can't even play out a hypothetical bank robbery in your mind, <laughs> I mean, you're not really robbing Sir, the please, bank. Reed, please give me a hundred million dollars, please. Hypothetically read. I say, you don't tell them anything about these cards. You go get the cards. You pull out the best ones. You reshuffle the sleeves so there's no empty holes. You bring the book to him. You show him. You go, look what I found in mom's. You keep the best cards for yourself. You flip those. You go, you go get yourself a nice new hat. <laughs> Is that- and you wear it about town. And then one day at a family barbecue, you show up with that hat and, and it catches your brother's eye. And your brother goes, Reed, that is a sweet hat. And you go, I know, it's a great hat. I bought it a couple years back. None the wiser. He compliments this new cap that you're wearing, and you all benefit. He's happy he got his cards back. You got yourself a nice hat. Mom's happy that the shit's out of her basement. That's how you do it, okay? that That's the way you do this, Reed. And I'm glad we got all these questions about the 90s because next week, Jesse, you and I have talked. We've got some spicy in-depth information not only about cards that people should start king in on of 90s superstars that have value that might be at a dip right now but i've got a story of a card that i dug out i unearthed from my boxes of cards and jesse if this card graded out as a psa 10 what could it be worth quarter of a million dollars plus there you go baby we'll see you next week on clear the cash